0: Hey good afternoon everybody this is the walk-ons podcast Thursday March 25th 2021 and if you're wondering why it's a new voice introducing you it's because it is Uh, our valiant host Ryan Reeves is out this week on vacation and I Andrew Schuster I'm taking over but it's not a solo show I have my good friend and you know I guess let's call him a pinch hitter this week because it's the baseball version of a walk-on even though they have actual walk-ons in baseball my good friend Matt Weaver what's going on Matt?
1: Thanks, Andrew. I'm excited. Hopefully I uh, can fill in for Ryan well and my sports takes aren't terrible, but uh, I'm excited. This is fun.
0: Yeah. And then later we got Judd Travis coming on. He's a comedian and, you know, apparently Gary Busey calls him his favorite comedian. So you have to know he's a top five comedian all time. (laughs) Um, But, you know, first things first, today's a big day in sports. It's the trade deadline. And man, did a lot happen today that we really need to get into. So, you know, without further ado, should we just head hop in, Matt?
1: Yeah, no, I think that sounds great. It's always crazy that like 10 minutes after three o'clock hits or one o'clock mountain time where I am, it's, you get like 15 notifications in a matter of five seconds. It's the NBA trade deadline, something else.
0: (laughs) Yeah. A ton of Woj bombs today. I'm sure the, you know, U S defense department's looking into that. Um, but the, the big name, and it's a name that we, uh, you and Matt and I personally are very connected to it's Aaron Gordon, because he's going to our team, the Denver nuggets. And you know, we're going to play a little bit winner and losers. And I think in this case, the Nuggets are very much a winner in this deal. They got Aaron Gordon, who's, you know, going to slate in as their three potentially stretch four guy that they lost and they lost Jeremy Grant and only had to give up Gary Harris or Hampton and a future first round pick. Um, what do you think about it, Matt?
1: Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. I, th- I think for me, as the, these rumors came out, it was all about what we give up. Um, and I think Aaron Gordon makes a lot of sense. I think that there's kind of been a lack of production and consistency from the four, three, four spot for the Nuggets Jermichael Green has had flashes. Millsap still had some moments, but both of them have also had their struggles, especially recently. So I think Gordon raises the ceiling. Um, and, and the thing with the return, what they're sending back, that's that's really what I focused on. I think I love Gary Harris. I've always been a Gary Harris fan. I think even when he hadn't been shooting, he's still a productive player, but the inability to stay on the floor recently with the injuries and that's tough and and then you shed that contract next year i think there's some benefits there and if he's the guy to move he was he was the one and then rj hampton is a is a project uh he's a really really raw offensive player there's upside and he's his his explosiveness is crazy but i don't know if he was going to get them enough time in denver to develop properly kind of with the amount of guards they had. So I, I I'm sad to see him go. I'm a fan of his, but keeping Zeke Naji was, was the key for me. And, and I think it's a good deal. I'm excited to see it. I'm, I'm hopeful that Gordon can, can fill his role and play the role properly near Jokic. What do you think? I mean, I, I agree. And I feel like for the last couple of years as Nuggets fans, we've been saying, Hey, the Nuggets need to
0: consolidate some of these pieces and really make that move to take them over the top. And with their run of the Western Conference Finals last year, it really seemed they're they're finally poised to potentially break into that contender role. And while I won't definitively say Gordon does that, I think he was the best option at potentially doing that. And like you said, as long as they got to keep Zeke Najee, you knew they were going to have to give up either RJ Hampton or Bol Bol. And both are just projects which one day could come down to bite them in the butt, you know, if they pan out. But ultimately, you're willing to take that risk. And, you know, the Nuggets also got back Gary Clark, who probably doesn't slay it in to be a, a contributor but it is a fun notion to have every single guy in the nba named gary was traded today with
1: gary, <laughs> yep. Harris,
0: gary clark and gary trent going from the blazers to the raptors which i'm sure we'll touch on in a second but uh you know the next big trade today was definitely in terms of name values um nikola vucevic going from orlando to chicago and you know he's an all-star so that's big enough but what really stood out to me was there was a lot of chatter that he was not going to get moved um And so not only was he not moved, but he also went to a team that I wouldn't necessarily say it changes the power dynamics in the NBA that much. You know, had he been going from Orlando where they're not really a factor to suddenly a contending team it'd be different, but he goes to Chicago for Wendell Carter and, you know, a couple picks and it's really, you know, I don't think it changes too much. What do you think?
1: No, I agree. I, I was shocked because that was the first trade that really like Travail McGee woke up to, but that was the first real kind of breaking news of the day. And I, all the signs pointed towards them, not moving him. And if you're Orlando, I, I thought that you have Fultz and Isaac coming back next year and you keep Vukovic there. And, um, that was I'm surprised by that move. I think Chicago did a great job. I mean, Otto Porter Jr.'s $28 million expiring contract is massive. And so they they get that out. And um, got, I think Wendell Carter had sort of fallen out of favor there. He wasn't in the rotation the last two weeks. Um, he'd been playing 15 minutes or so, I guess, but he wasn't starting anymore. So I, I think it's a great move. I think I think the Bulls had a good day. And I think Vukovic, Levine, um, I, I think that they've got some pieces there that they they can they can build on. But it's a it's an interesting, interesting, surprising move for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it changes too much for this particular season. Maybe they get into the playing games or maybe potentially the early, you know, first round of the Eastern Conference. But I think it's more of a long-term move, especially he signed a contract extension in the off season. Um, And I think Arturis Karnasovas, the Chicago GM, who used to be in the Denver front office, could maybe view him as a Jokic 2.0 or the next best thing. But, you know, it also kind of shows what the Magic's, you know, game plan was today. They they traded everybody and their mother. Um, You know, Evan Fournier also goes to the Boston Celtics for two second round picks, which I also thought they kind of undersold him. In a certain way, you could say each deal, they undersold what their player's value could have been. I
1: think it really just goes to show they were trying to, Have a mass exodus of all those guys. Reset button, absolutely. And the interesting thing, you make a good point. Vucevic's extension is very team friendly. I mean, 26 million this year, 24 next year, 22 million three years from now. That is a solid deal for an all-star player, Um, and and I I think it's a really smart move. I I do think Orlando, they got a lot of picks. They got a few interesting young players, but I think if you told me that the list of guys they'd get for Fournier, Gordon, and Vucevic, I would be a little underwhelmed. But We'll see.
0: Yeah, but uh, I mean, underwhelming, but definitely not the most underwhelming trade of the day because that that amazing honor goes to our good friends over in Houston, the Houston Rockets, where it wow. seems every team in Houston is just having a great season when it comes to trading their star players. Uh, Victor Oladipo, last second, I think he was the last second trade of the day, goes from Houston to the Miami Heat for Kelly Olynyk and Avery Bradley and a future first, I believe. But again, yep. you know, Old Depot, a former All-Star that once was linked to a ton of trade packages with a lot of value, goes for kind of, you know, pennies on the dollar.
1: Yeah, they I, I was watching kind of the trade special and stuff, and Brian Winhurst was talking about how it seemed like Houston kind of got stuck with Miami playing both sides, with Miami having the Kyle Lowry option the victor oladipo option and if kyle lowry fell through they'd jump over to to houston and so i think the the rockets were waiting on that but then they got stuck in this last few minutes they realized raptors aren't trading kyle lowry we got the Heat are gonna get oladipo and they they didn't have much leverage left because if they didn't make the deal they were going to get stuck with oladipo who's going to leave so they salvaged it and got the pick but yeah it's it's interesting and i i I don't know if they buy out Bradley or what they do, or some of these veteran guys, Houston's in a weird spot, but I mean, they got a lot of picks in, in hindsight from Hart, the Harden deal in the end, at the end of the day, four pick swaps for, for first rounders, but the, the value of the players and the, the talent that's already in the NBA they got is disappointing. So it'll be interesting if they can make those first round picks work, but who knows if they're Brooklyn's picks and where those will even slot. And so, I don't know, I think Houston. Houston's confusing.
0: Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's always great to get first round picks, but you're right. They could end up being late round picks or, you know, depending on the pick swaps, it's not like they're going to be picking probably in the lottery, unless it's their own pick. For, they're probably going to be a top three pick this year, but yeah, considering the caliber of player James Harden is, I mean, he's entering the MVP discussion a little bit this year to not even get Karis LeVert, not get Ben Simmons in those packages they were throwing out in the fall. And it really is kind of underwhelming and it just, they had to do it. Otherwise he was going to leave for nothing, but It is really underwhelming at the end of the day, all things considered, but are there any other trades that really stick out to you that, you know, could drastically shift the power dynamics and what's going on in the
1: NBA. I don't know about drastically but I think Rondo is a good get for the Clippers. Um, I think that he's a, a definite upgrade over Reggie Jackson. The question with Rondo though, is can he stay on the court he's been on and off and injured and banged up multiple injuries with Atlanta this year and I don't think he ever got his footing there. Um, but Lou Williams had really fallen out of favor. He, he was just losing minutes by the week. And so I I think that's a good move for them, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think there were a lot of smaller moves here and there that, that don't have a ton of changes. I think JJ Redick to Dallas is interesting, but they still aren't going to stop anyone. Um, and I think, I think that Fournier to Boston move was really solid for Boston. Again, I don't think Boston's good enough i don't think that was enough but for two seconds it's worth the shot i mean he's scoring 20 points a game but at the end of the day i think norman powell was a really good get for portland gary trent's a similar player so how much does it actually elevate them totally by giving those guys up but i do think powell is a, a more efficient scorer than gary trent so i think there were a lot of interesting moves
0: yeah no i agree when i saw the the portland trailblazers trade with the raptors i was i kind of did a double take i was like i don't know what you're upgrading i mean yeah Norman Powell has been really exciting this year on kind of a lackluster Raptors for the most part. And, but every time I watch the Blazers, I feel like I see Gary Trent just light it up and, you know, he doesn't do a lot of great things, but that one thing he does really well and you can never have enough shooting in the NBA. So, yeah, you know, let's, let's kind of take this and, and roll with, um, you know, the winners and losers of the day. Um, who would you peg as, as like the big winner, the guy, who, you know, who everyone's envying at the end of the day at their trade stock and what they got?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, i think chicago did a great job i i think that was a good good um it was a good day for the bulls they didn't give up much in any of those deals it, 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 the boston when they flipped for Theis, uh luke cornett those guys aren't much um but pulling in an all-star like vucevic for for the value that they get sent out i think is a great move um and i think the nuggets i i and not. i uh, non-biased way i really do think that both those moves they made today with mcgee and aaron gordon fill holes the nuggets have had michael malone's been trying to fit a square peg in a circle hole with that backup center spot all year and i think they thought isaiah hartnstein could be mason plumley um but he really kind of struggled to fill that spot a lot of foul trouble um he, he wasn't protecting the rim very well the nuggets are near the bottom half in percentage in the paint um Allowed and so I think a Javale McGee is a smart move and then Aaron Gordon I think both those moves solidify things that they lost in the off season and I think Aaron Gordon hopefully gives them kind of uh, four different players that can do different things in that in that starting group that are really have high ceilings and and I think if I think Gordon in an in a weird way with less usage can become more efficient and it, it expand his ceiling so those are the two teams I think what what about you what are your what are your thoughts on winners? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think any team that traded with the Orlando Magic today won. Um,
0: you know, they they were just like saying, we have all these amazing pieces, take them for whatever you got in your pocket, like whatever. Um, so I would definitely classify the Nuggets and the Bulls as winners today. And I would definitely classify the Magic as losers, along with the Rockets, which we just kind of detailed. But like you you mentioned earlier, I think the Rajon Rondo won. Well, I don't think it drastically changes things. I think that one is something to keep an eye on because not only if just from a scheme fit, were they looking for a point guard, but I just think having some leadership in that locker room is actually a really big, intangible thing that doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, we saw that the Clippers just fall flat on their face last year when they faced the smallest bit of adversity. And when you look at Kawhi and Paul George, they're talented players, but neither of them scream as like the you know leadership role guys. They're kind of the complimentary superstar to a different uh, leadership superstar. And now instead of that, you have two, like I said, complimentary guys and neither one knows quite what to do to take the lead. And so I think Rajon Rondo, while not being the best player on the team is gonna step in and he's got kind of an abrasive personality that he's gonna, you know, hold everyone accountable. And, you know, I think that especially with Lou Williams like as great as he is, you know not known for being a great playoff player. And it showed, especially last year and in the years before I don't think they lose a whole lot obviously he brings scoring off the bench but i, I just don't think you know losing lou williams is is going to hurt the, the clippers you know in a deep playoff run and then like you said i think jj reddick is also you know it never hurts to have shooting and the mavericks drastically needed shooting and the mavericks are a scary team with luca having people he can pass the ball to so i think they definitely improved today but i don't know are there any other losers in your in your eyes
1: um Every other team that's drafting besides the Thunder in the future, um, maybe them. I mean, the Thunder got more picks today with George Hill, and they're up to 34, I think I saw, in the next seven years, which is just absurd. Um, I can't even process that. And I don't know, I I think maybe, maybe Toronto not being able to swing one of those guys that they wanted for Kyle Lowry is probably disappointing, the fact that they couldn't get Hero or Talon Horton Tucker or someone like that. Um, I think they maybe were trying overselling Lowry a little bit on an expiring deal with how big of a contract that is and their leverage, but I think that they had, they had hoped that they could swing someone out of him. So I think that was probably a little bit disappointing if you're a Raptors fan and, and I know they moved some of those guys on the back end of the roster to open up spots. I'm not sure if that was, if that was salary cap related or if they thought that they were about to kind of swing a deal. Um, So I think those two maybe
0: yeah, and and you mentioned George Hill, which brings up a, a couple other guys in my mind, which is Mel Harkless and Trevor Reza, because I think between the three of them, those guys have been traded to every single team in the NBA twice over. At, at <laughs> yeah, right. So, I wonder if if at a certain point that's just their stick. You know they they come into a front office and say, "I'm your guy if you need to move with the deadline. like i'm I've got my own moving company dedicated to me at this point. Like they're just masters of of their craft, and their craft isn't basketball. It's getting traded. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think one other thing that's kind of interesting that I noticed is Sacramento was very active today, but nothing really loud. It seemed like they got a lot of guys that they can test out the rest of the year. And if they want to move on at the end of the season, they can and give themselves some flexibility, whether that is Harkless or um, a guy like Chris Silva from Miami, who's going to be have a team option at the end of the year, Terrence Davis from Toronto. Those are guys that you can let them play, see what you got. And. And hope that next year maybe you have some roster flexibility um but yeah so they were debt, but they made multiple deals mm-hmm.
0: yeah and you, you heard harrison barnes is potentially going to get moved and i don't know they're kind of like orlando west like they probably should have just hit a reset with the one or two guys they know you know they're going to build their core around but then just sell everyone else for for parts um but yeah definitely interesting but you we know we know sacramento is not always the most well-run organization in the nba
2: right, <laughs> right
0: but uh, yeah are there any other thoughts and, and you know things that stick, stood out to you about the trade deadline um before we move on to the next the next subject
1: no i don't think so i think we covered quite a bit there i'm excited to see these guys with their new teams i felt there were a lot of moves and that's a big time that's a fun day of the year always every time getting to see everyone move around so
0: absolutely yeah it's a holiday but uh yeah so that's going to wrap up our talk on the trade deadline up next though we have our segment with judd travis you know, well-known comedian like I said, Gary Busey is a fanboy of his, which is never a bad thing, never. Um, so yeah, coming up next is our interview with Judd Travis. All right, guys, and now we're back with with our guest, Judd Travis, you well-known comedian, like I said, and uh, we're happy to have you on. Judd, how's it going?
2: Oh, pretty good. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, we're happy to have you and talk some sports. And and I know one of the big things that uh we uh, we heard on your uh appearance last week with Cousin Sal's podcast was uh, a really in-depth and intellectual discussion on Brian Scalabrini. I was wondering <laughs> if uh you happen to see the video that's been going around of uh, if, if Brian playing a little one-on-one.
2: Yeah, I mean I saw that um when did I see that? I guess yesterday. And I already knew he was a legend to begin with, but this video cements it him beating up what was it like a 17 year old kid or something
0: absolutely i mean you don't earn the name white mamba without just being an all-time great nba player i mean
2: oh yeah yeah and his cameo price is only a hundred dollars which is a pretty good deal for a legend
0: (laughs) absolutely dude um but yeah i mean i i think it just goes to show in all seriousness like those guys who are role players or bench players on nba teams are like still some of the best basketball players in the world Oh yeah
2: I mean, before I saw that video, I honestly thought I could beat Brian Scalabrini one-on-one, even though I haven't picked up a basketball in six years. But you're right. I I have no chance.
1: The uh the effort level from Brian was like 40% also. It wasn't even oh, yeah. like he was going full speed and he's
2: just <laughs> no, doing it. <laughs> he wasn't even trying.
0: Yeah, he's still recovering from his St. Patrick's Day outing, you know. Just... <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but I think that's a good segue to kind of talk about, you know, the disparity between NBA players and, and other players in, into our discussion on March Madness. And, you know, uh, Judd here, as the audience doesn't know, is is a Kansas grad and Kansas had a really great uh, showing in the NCAA tournament. And uh, you
2: know, <laughs> I don't know about great. It was pretty embarrassing.
0: Oh, yeah. No, that's what I'm going for. And I I don't mean to just, like shove it on you. I'm a UNC grad and we also had an embarrassing defeat. And Matt was a Oh, yeah. So but uh, yeah you
2: guys lost to Wisconsin, right?
0: Yeah, we did in, in yeah. fashion. It's I'm mean, I'm really loving life right now. But uh you know, my first question is is I've I've seen some some of your you know stuff on YouTube and uh you have this great bit where you just throw USC under the bus. And so I was wondering <laughs> uh if you really enjoyed the fact that their you know great historic beatdown was to USC. Did you kind of get something out of that?
2: No, that made it a hundred times worse, and uh I gotta be careful with that stuff because you know, I used to perform USC material all the time, but then I realized, wait a second, a lot of people out here went to USC. I never put two and two together because I kept thinking, why are these people so angry at me? But um, yeah, I I don't especially like USC just because I've had bad experiences with some alums from there in the past. Like one time, I matched with this girl on Tinder who went to USC. And her profile picture was a new Mercedes with a bow on it that her dad had bought her. And I thought to myself, I don't need someone like that in my life. You know,
0: <laughs> So, no, man, she can bankroll.
2: you, and, and, you know, well, yeah, I considered going for it, but you know, I'm pretty self-sufficient. So I'd rather, you know, get it the hard way, but, but yeah, things like that, it made the loss the other day, a lot worse, but this is a really horrible KU team it was the worst team we've had in decades I think our field goal percentage was the worst it's been since 1972 so I wasn't expecting much
0: yeah I feel you I mean it's been a tough couple years for Carolina as well but you know I want to go off that you're talking about Kansas being such a proud program what is what is your best story going to a Kansas game at Fog Allen you know I'm sure you got plenty but like what's your best or your most entertaining what's your favorite
2: oh man Probably going when I was a little kid, because, you know, when you're a little kid, everything's more fun than now, you know, you don't have to (laughs) pay taxes and buy groceries. So just being a little kid, you know, sitting on my daddy's lap, you know, that that was the best. Later in life, it wasn't as much fun, you know, because then you're worried about, you know, drinking and driving, having to deal with adult stuff. So I have a lot of good memories going when I was really young.
0: Gotcha. Is your favorite game that stands out, though, from when you were a student there?
2: Oh, man, yeah, definitely. That would be um, the national championship game in 2008. That was when I was a freshman when we beat Memphis. They had Derrick Rose and Mario Chalmers did the miracle shot with, like, one second left. That was just incredible. Absolutely, and you guys beat
0: down UNC in the final. I was about to say that. that, yeah. Yeah. I was so intoxicated
2: I I don't even remember that game, but you know, I'm sure I must have enjoyed that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you did. (laughs) But I I think that's a great kind of segue to talk about this year's tournament. And uh, you know, like what are your what are the storylines that have really stuck out to you? Is it, you know, the fact that Sister Jean's still kicking it and, you know, forcing Loyola to win it? Or, you know, what's what's sticking out to you?
2: Yeah, I like her a lot. She um she seemed like a really really good lady um I didn't even fill out a bracket this year just because you know I'm not in a pool because I'm stuck at home on house arrest like most of the rest of the world right now and um without a pool to win money you know what's the point of filling out a bracket my prediction right now is I see um I see Michigan winning it all what do you think about that
0: I, I don't. I don't love the pick. I think they're going to lose in the next round, but you know, I weirder things have happened, and they're a number one seed, so it's not the most outrageous pick. But I just think Gonzaga is going to roll through everybody. And
2: yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah if if it, it weren't for Michigan, I'd pick Gonzaga to win it all. And that's on one side of the bracket. Then on the other, I don't even know because um, I think Houston's pretty good, but you know, Baylor's decent. I don't know
0: do you have any you know you know interest in the texas-based teams i know you're a texas guy you don't have any background on them or anything
2: no i kind of view baylor the way i view usc where um some of the students are kind of kind of spoiled you know so Mm -hmm. i don't really uh follow baylor that closely i don't know anything about the university of houston i hope they win just because i feel sorry for houston after You know, you had those pipes freeze and J.J. Watt left and Deshaun Watson's uh, doing some strange stuff. So, you know, I'd like to see Houston win, actually, now that I think about it. Okay, interesting. That was actually something we were going to ask
0: about later. Is there a a curse going on in Houston ever since the Astros, you know, won that World Series fairly and squarely? Um, But uh,
2: yeah, seems like it, yeah.
0: Um, yeah we uh, we were talking about Oladipo getting traded today you know are you a a big NBA guy as well
2: oh yeah I love the NBA yeah I haven't had time today to analyze all the trades but I've seen the headlines on my phone and um, I'm glad he was moved because he was sort of wasting away in Houston even though he's a free agent at the end of the year but um, that should be good for the heat
0: yeah or is there any uh I guess you know let's go off that is it in your, in your mind, is there at all a Houston-Dallas rivalry between the cities, or is it really, you know, you guys are above that?
2: No, there is, especially with the Mavericks and Rockets. Um, growing up, I was a huge Mavericks fan, and I hated the Rockets, not nearly as much as the Spurs. I, to this day, I hate the Spurs more than I can even describe. Like, no verbiage could even do that justice. But there's always been sort of like a mild rivalry between Houston and Dallas, but but it's nothing, you know, like, like dangerous. I don't drive into Houston thinking, you know, someone's going to carjack me because I have a Mavericks bumper sticker or something.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you guys can be civil about it, but, uh, you know, going off of, you know, Dallas teams, you know, what's going on with the Cowboys? Have you enjoyed their off season, if you, could, <laughs> you know, is, is, or should I just kind of like let you roll with it and tell me what you honestly think?
2: No, I haven't enjoyed their off season at all. Um, the other day I was thinking, why isn't Dallas sign any free agents? And then it hit me. Jerry Jones usually doesn't sign a lot of free agents. He signs people who are newly free from prison. So I'm just <laughs> waiting for that to happen in a few months. You know, the whole, you know, Greg Hardy or Al, what, what's this guy, they just released, what's his name? Uh, Alden, Alden Smith. Smith. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Alden Smith. So they'll sign someone like that in a few months, but, um, no, I, I don't like the direction things are going. The DAC contract's 40 million a year, which it's absurd, but like we were talking before the show, you know, it's a necessary evil. It's so hard these days to get a decent quarterback. So it could be worse, I guess, you know. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is you know,
0: I'm I'm 24. Matt's 24. The Cowboys have not been in a Super Bowl in our lifetime. Um, does that does that make you feel <laughs> depressed or sad or anything?
2: No, I'm depressed um, always because of that. You see, I have no memory of the Cowboys Super Bowls in the 90s. I was slight—I was either slightly too young or I have something mentally wrong with me. I'm not sure which, but um, I just have no memory of them at all. So all I've known is just mediocrity for the last 25 years.
0: Yeah, I know, and I feel you. I feel your pain, but I think with Mike McCarthy leading the helm, you guys will be back <laughs> to greatness. You might as
2: well have Freddie Kitchens. There's really no difference.
0: (laughs) Yeah, one's got a a better last name, honestly.
2: Oh, yeah, Freddie's got the best last name. But, yeah, I I really don't like Mike McCarthy. I feel like he should have gotten Aaron Rodgers, you know, three Super Bowls instead of one. Um, But, I mean, Jerry Jones, he hires these puppets, you know. Jason Garrett might as well have had, you know, strings behind him, you know, as someone – pulling him like we haven't had a coach who really coaches from the heart since bill parcells interesting
0: so who who would you like in your dream scenario who would you want to be the head coach of the dallas cowboys well me because
2: i'm really good at madden so um i think i could be decent but other than myself that's a good question i'd have to give that some thought but you see i like these these really old guys these old farts you know have been around for decades and They're not wimps, you know, because a lot of these these young coaches or I like Sean McVay, but, you know, they're too player friendly. You know, I think what Dallas needs is just some mean spirited son of a bitch who can just come in, you know, and get people going, especially on defense.
1: It's some Bill Cowher vibes or something in there. Yeah.
2: Someone like that. You know, someone tough.
1: Yeah, someone when you know
0: when Dak breaks his ankle in half, he's standing over screaming and you know, rub some dirt on it, man. Get back <laughs>
2: right, yeah, get back in there.
0: <laughs> but yeah, no, so are, are, you you kind of mentioned it like, are you all in on the Dak Prescott signing or are you like, hey, let's uh, let's, let's wait for this Deshaun Watson thing to blow over?
2: <laughs> I don't know when that's gonna blow over, man. I seems like he, I don't know how many massages did he need? Good God, but um, I don't think. I don't know, you know, 40 million a year, it's crazy, but our other options were, were what, you know, we can't draft high enough to get, you know, someone good like that BU, BYU guy, I'm forgetting his name, Zach something. Exactly. Um, yeah, Zach Wilson. So without, you know, the opportunity for that, you might as well give a one legged guy 40 million a year. Might, might as
0: well. I mean, we were talking about it on our show last week. Jerry Jones came out and said, you know, every good thing he's ever had, he's overpaid for, which <laughs> I can't stand <see laughs> in that situation. But No, that's true. That's one way What's to
2: crazy out. to me is that, you know, it wasn't that long ago where, you know, New Orleans signed Drew Brees for 10 million a year. And people are like, whoa, this is a huge risk. And the salary cap, it just keeps changing so much every year.
1: Kind of like competitive balance in the NFL for every team just to pay their quarterback 40 million and they all do the same thing at some point. Um, right. Yeah. Even moderate level guys.
2: Yeah. Sometimes I wish it was like baseball where there just wasn't a salary cap and Jerry Jones could, you know, be stupid enough to pay someone a hundred million a year.
0: Yeah. I mean, and we, we you know, we are seeing in our chat right now, Andy Dalton's getting 10 million right now with the bears. I mean, let me just say this, at least you're not a bears fan.
2: Oh God, that would really suck. Yeah. And I, I wanted Mitch Trubisky to be successful. I wasn't even making fun of him. Like I, his nickname was Mr. Biscuit, you know, and anyone with a nickname like Mr. Biscuit, you want them to succeed. But um, that, when when's the last time they had a good quarterback? When was that? In Chicago. I mean, they yeah. went there with
0: Rex Grossman so <laughs> that's um, not good though it no, was defense first <laughs> that was all
2: defense yeah that was lovey smith doing some great work yeah
0: yeah i think even the 85 bears you know didn't have a great quarterback i mean i think jay cutler's on their mount rushmore of. of <laughs> he is
2: yeah and i always liked him too i never made fun of him i wanted him to be successful because i liked how um like disconnected from reality he seemed i'm kind of like that too like when people talk to me i just stare at them blankly like he does and so he kind of inspired me gotcha so that your
0: entire career is just based off of jay cutler in a bear's uniform oh
2: he's he's my model for success yeah well, i'm doing enough to get the money but not you know anything more well that's, I'm sure that's my goal in life
0: well, i'm sure that's why we why gary busey appreciates you man
2: Oh, he loves me, and I loved him. Yeah, he's a great guy.
0: Yeah, so he he just approached you after one of your shows, right? That's kind of how it played out when he when he told you you, you were one of his favorites?
2: Yeah, I was really scared when he was approaching me, because, um, you know, he's kind of a strange-looking guy, and the way he talks is in a manner that I'm, you know, I've never heard anyone talk like that, and so I was afraid he was going to, you know, punch me or assault me in some form, but you know, then he started giving me these compliments and it made me feel really good. And then we, we went to a bar and, uh, he doesn't drink, but we sat there and talked and I couldn't understand most of what he said, but it was still cool to talk to him.
0: Of course, man. I mean, that's, that's a once in a, once in a lifetime experience, just going to a bar with Gary Busey, but, uh, you know, Judd, I really want to thank you for coming on today. We, we love the conversation and as always, you know, Brian Scalabrini's always got a fan on this show.
2: Oh, definitely. Yeah. The, my, the white Mamba will live on forever. Well, thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And you will you'll always be a walk-on. So anytime you want to come back on, let us know.
2: Oh, that's great. And once I get my podcast back up and running, I'll have you guys on too. I appreciate it.
0: Sounds good. All right, man. Well, have fun. And, you know, don't get too down on the Cowboys, you know, no, I'll try to not to.
2: For yeah. I'm in, I'm in therapy about the Cowboys. It'll be okay.
0: All right, sounds good. That, thanks, everyone. That's Judd Travis, and after this, we'll be right back with a segment with me and Matt to finish things up. And we're back for the last segment of today's episode of The Walk-Ons. We had a great interview with Judd Travis and learned that he's a big fan of, of Houston and Mike McCarthy. Um, but uh, you know, let, let's get into some other subjects today, uh, primarily baseball, because Opening Day is a week away. I cannot believe we're getting that close. And you know, one of the reasons we brought Matt on today is because he has a background of an experience in baseball that I don't think many people have, and so. Without further ado matt why don't you tell us exactly you know what your background in baseball is and and what you know what you what what kind of you know fuels you with it
1: yeah i'm i mean i'm a i'm a diehard rockies fan but you know that picture of rob low that people sometimes use as a meme where he's got the nfl logo on his hat that's me but with major league baseball i just am obsessed with the game every team i follow everything so closely but i mean i grew up that way i was always the For some reason, instead of playing the major league baseball video games, I would just play with the rosters so I wouldn't actually play the games I would just move players around and like make teams and stuff like that. And so I always kind of grew up just fascinated by MLB and the roster construction and how you put together a team and and so. I, I was fortunate my fr- after my freshman year of college to do an internship with a major league baseball team. Um, I spent some of the time on the business side with some of the corporate partnerships and all that, but I did get to shadow um, a, an MLB front office and a general manager for a few days. and. Um, it was amazing it's one of the coolest things and I love to tell people about it and I learned a lot just about how they function and and just how they're normal guys and and they're just so brilliant, though, at the same time so. Um, I got to kind of go through that and I, I, I was close to maybe working in some scouting and baseball, but I kind of made a career pivot in terms of just my life and so, um, but I still follow it like nothing else. Absolutely. And it's such a cool background experience, but
0: like, what was, you know, what was the biggest takeaway you had that really surprised you when it came to working in an MLB
1: front office, whether it's something to do with baseball or just kind of the logistics of how it worked? Well, one thing that stands out to me was the just mass amounts of data that they have in these spreadsheets and these, these lists of minor league players and the information they have on it and just the amount of guys that they have that have to work through all of this information, which is just crazy. And, And I thought that was really interesting. And another thing that was kind of weird and that you don't sometimes get an insight in is the days when there's not games. So if it's like an off day or their team's on the road, just the atmosphere in the stadium, it it feels sort of like a just normal business. So I thought that was interesting. You know, I feel like some people think, oh, I'll work in sports and it's every day game day and go, go, go. When in reality, it's kind of, it, it can get slow and it's just feels like a normal job at times. So I was a little bit surprised with that, but it it still was an awesome experience and just kind of getting to ask questions and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, it really gives you unique perspective on not just the game, but the league as a whole, which, you know, I, I think, you know, definitely, you know, allows you to be particularly, you know, well-informed when it comes to talking and previewing the season. So why don't we go ahead and get into that? And so I, I think the first thing to you know, start with is just what are the storylines you're looking out for this year, whether it be players, teams, you know, what should, what should a, a casual baseball fan keep their eye on this season?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot. And I think it's an exciting year coming back in. Last year was strange with just only playing 60, 62 games. I think it it affected a lot of players. A lot of superstar guys kind of had down years. And I, I, I wonder if that was something where it's pressing or there's shorter times. I mean, whether it was, Christian Yelich in Milwaukee or Nolan Arenado in Colorado or Javier Baez in Chicago. They all their numbers were really really poor. So is it is it something about ramp up time and the the shortened spring training and how did that have an effect last year? So I'm interested to see how some of those guys rebound this season. I think that's something that's going to be interesting to see. Um and having fans kind of starting to filter back in the stadium, that's one of the things I'm most excited for. Um and another thing, I think one of the most interesting storylines throughout the season is the National League East. I think that there are five teams in the National League East who are rock solid, and it's gonna be really, really interesting to see. My question is less about who wins the division, because if any of those teams won it, I wouldn't be surprised. The bigger question is who's in fifth place in that division? And so I think that's gonna be something really interesting that I'm excited to see, and it's, it's something that I don't think anyone's gonna be able to predict spot on.
0: Yeah, exactly, and we're going back to you know the normal playoff format whereas last year there was a little more like hey we're we're fighting for eight spots so there's not as much of a you know we have to be at minimum third place if our division really just dominates the national league but yeah totally are are there any players or or surprise players to look out for or guys that you're expecting a big season out
1: of well Shohei Otani I think is is a huge storyline this season he's Since he's come over, I mean, that that whole negotiation period when he was coming over from overseas was it was a huge storyline. And he's kind of fallen flat just due to injuries. Um, I mean, he's he hasn't pitched many innings. I don't know the exact number, but he looks outstanding this spring. He's he's hitting 517 or something, 571 and has five home runs and also has thrown 14 innings, with like 18 strikeouts. And he's thrown 100 miles an hour. So there's no player like him. And i think he's outstanding for the game globally if he can stay healthy beyond the field and so that's something that i'm really really excited to see in a player that i think could blast to superstardom if he has an, a decent start yeah it's just a shame which
0: team he's on i mean the, the angels have a long history of having superstar players and not really maximizing their talent or you know getting the most mileage out of them but yeah let's talk about some of the teams that matter um i, I say matter who are going to be competitive this year what are the teams you're kind of looking at to contend maybe throw some world series picks in there just you know kind of teams that you know we, we just got
1: to keep an eye on that are going to be fun to watch yeah i think there's a i think there's a lot of competitive teams this year but they are all reaching for the dodgers that's the bottom line is la is the is the top of the tier it's they're the defending champs they have the best paper roster on paper the best depth and all three facets whether it's lineup rotation bullpen they're rock solid there isn't a hole so the dodgers have to be the favorite i know vegas has them as a big time favorite to win it all and i think that that makes sense i think it's reasonable but i i think san diego and atlanta are both going to be really really fun teams to watch and will compete with the dodgers and i mean baseball is one of those you never know in a, in a seven game series a, a team can have clayton kershaw can come out and have a bad start and suddenly it changes the whole outlook so um I think that's something to watch out for in the national league is the padres and the braves and then the american league the yankees are really flashy on paper also they're they're they look good but i think my the team i'm most intrigued by is the white Sox. um they're my world series pick out of the al eloy jimenez who's one of their good young players his peck and is out for five months they re- announced today which is a big blow um, but i'm still going to stick with them i think they have a perfect blend of young hitter young hitters Luis robert and tim anderson they have a a rock solid rotation with good veterans who have world series experience dallas keichel and they bring in lance lynn from texas who's a veteran and i think they also could have the best bullpen by the end of the year in in major league baseball i think it's something that no one really thinks of when they think of bullpens i think the white Sox have the most talent from top to bottom
0: absolutely and we did a show a couple weeks back we we did a very brief preview and i picked the red or the white Sox and the dodgers to be my world series as well and but I, I do agree. I, I think the National League has an interesting storyline developing that could be really fun, which is the Padres and Dodgers, just because the Padres are kind of the new kids on the block ready to take down the challenger, plus the proximity. It's a two, two and a half hour drive and they're division rivals. And I think that could be a really fun way for a new rivalry to develop. I know that the all-time rival with them is the Giants, but I think for the next couple of years, we could be looking at like a eight to 10 year run where it's just the Padres and Dodgers battling it out for supremacy. But then again yeah the 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 braves were a 3-1 lead in the nlcs last year and had the dodgers on the ropes and if a couple things go differently they're in the world series and you never know what happens there so i, I really like them yeah. i also really like the cardinals i know you have some doubts but i really think getting nolan arenado and putting him in an actual functioning and just like baseline operative baseball team is going to do wonders for him not have the cloud overhanging of being being on on the rockies
1: 100%. I think, I think getting away from Coors Field, a lot of times people see that as a downside for hitters. I think it's a benefit. I think not having to play half your games away from Coors Field, just the move from both sides is so, so strenuous on a lot of players that I think they're, a lot of the hitting splits for those guys don't waver as much as people expect them to. LeMay, he was a perfect example over the last three years. I mean, he's blossomed into an MVP candidate and not at Coors Field, so I think that'll be outstanding for Nolan, and and I do think St. Louis's offense will be really solid. I have concerns about the health of the rotation and the bullpen, but um, Nolan's a great move for them. Absolutely.
0: So, 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 those are some of kind of the more positive, fun storylines to look out for this year. What are some of the the potential negative things to kind of keep an eye on, the, like the the bad and the ugly per se, if we were doing a good, bad, and the ugly of the MLB?
1: Yeah, I the no DH. Is really disappointing, and I think the the MLB has kind of had the designated hitter as they think this negotiation chip that they're holding over the Players Association, and as they get into the bargaining agreement going into next year, that they can use that as a leverage point. When in reality, I think the MLB Players Association know Association knows that the MLB also wants it, so it's one of those where both sides want it, both sides know that both sides want it, so then it becomes kind of a Dud, And so it should be implemented this year. I mean, I know we, we, as we were talking pre uh, um, recording, we were talking about Zach gallon for the Dimebacks is a good young pitcher really solid and hurt himself taking batting practice and is going to miss the first month of this year. And that's the example where it's just unnecessary. And I, I think a lot of people who had thoughts and doubts against implementing full DH um, would kind of those older school people realized last year that it's a positive and it's it, it the, the season went well it, it functioned well and when you have two guys on with one out to start an inning and the pitcher comes up it's just kind of a a meh for for the game and the competitiveness I think and, and another thing is it's it's true just the, the amount of guys that flashy guys big name bats that don't have jobs um, the Yasiel Puigs of the world that probably find a way or Edwin Encarnacion still free agent so those are those are some of those other downsides, but I think the biggest thing is the fact that both sides want it, but they're just kind of using it as a petty leverage chip and have not implemented it, and that's just it's not good for the game.
0: Yeah, I think it, it makes it so much more exciting if you have nine professional hitters always on a team, as opposed to eight, and then one not automatic out, but you know he's got a hundred batting average. It's just it's kind of a it just doesn't make any sense to me, especially when the league is struggling to pull in viewers and just kind of struggling on that front and which leads to my next question. I think the, the MLB has had kind of a rocky off season with a lot of PR scandals and just not good looks. And I think it kind of goes back to your saying, there's a lot of old school thinking still going on with the MLB specifically that's drawing down interest in baseball. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that or things that you wish you that they could change?
1: Yeah, I, it's a tough question. I mean, there isn't a perfect answer. I think, I think at the end of the day, sometimes, the MLB and the, the owners, are they're overthinking it. And they're trying too hard to overthink a lot of little things that people don't care about. Um, that, that aren't the, that you don't implement the designated hitter is one of those things where everyone knows they want it and they don't implement it. But then they're so focused on pitch clocks and things like this that, and pickoff limits and stuff that fans aren't really complaining about. And so i think that's one of the disconnects is they're just overthinking it in parts and and i think the mlb has done a better job over the last year or so of kind of understanding how to market some of their superstar players i think it's something that they definitely have room to grow and and i know we also discussed this is a lot of the guys that are ambassadors to the game on social media whether that's rob freeman and pitching ninja who i love and jared carabas with barstool and stuff they're the best promoters of baseball and the way that they do it the mlb hasn't done before and it's something that the mlb really needs to embrace because rob freeman and pitching ninja on twitter they when he first started the mlb banned his twitter because they were using it they were using mlb copyrighted license stuff and that's one of those where you had a guy who's promoting your game and pitching and another thing where a lot of people didn't really appreciate they wanted offense but they didn't appreciate the pitching side of the game and he's changed that and he's allowed these pitchers to interact with fans to post videos and that's one of those things where i feel like the mlb just they miss they, they disconnect and it, obviously they fixed it and they're allowing him to now but the fact that in the first place they did that is just it's it's interesting and i mean you can go through a list of things the mlbs stumbled over the last few years but i have hope i think that manfred has been shaky but i, I do have hope that the mlb will get in the right direction And and i think they may not grow a ton but i think they do have a passionate foundation
0: absolutely yeah and it's it's kind of like towing the line of maintaining the integrity of the game, which is the thing that they always talk about, while also modernizing it and making it more accessible. But, yeah, I think at the end of the day, a lot of it is just going to require, you know, passionate fans to stick with it. And there is all the history, too. I mean, it is still America's pastime, all that. And But, uh, you know, it is also tough. Like, I grew up playing baseball. I love the sport. And even I get a little bit tired of the MLB sometimes. But, that might be being a rockies fan and <laughs> you know what that's yeah. like. it's not always easy
1: i mean if your hometown team's winning 95 games it's easy to buy in and have fun and if you have guys you like but when you have a roster of rookies who hit 220 it's frustrating and you give up eight runs every game and it's not fun so i mean it's the similar to every sport with that but losing's not fun but a lot of teams in the MLB have kind of gone into these five, four five year rebuilds where they lose hundreds of games every year and it drives that an entire market down, you know, so. Absolutely. Well, not to end it on a
0: sour note, but I, I think that's, you know, a good segue to kind of move on to a more fun way to end the show. And I know it's something that, you know, we, we, we kind of beat to death last week with the NCAA tournament. But this weekend we have, you know, the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight and there's a lot of fun storylines, a lot of fun players even a sweet 101 old lady in a wheelchair calling upon God to get her team to the final four. Um, So Matt, what are you looking for this week? And, and uh, you know, storylines, players, anything you just want to keep an eye on for the tournament.
1: I think my, my storyline is, can these low seeds keep it up? I mean, it's been an unprecedented year in terms of upsets from 15 seeds all the way through the double digit seeds. And I think that's been fascinating. And I don't know if it comes off of, less games played this year, less development time for freshmen and coming. And those those lower seeds usually are veteran teams. So I, I think that's interesting. So I wanna see guys like how does Oral Roberts respond? Um, and then I also think, is there any team that can show us something that looks like they're gonna be competitive with Gonzaga? Can Baylor come out and really put together a complete game? Can Houston put together a complete game? Can Michigan put together a complete game and give us something to give us sight? Because gonzaga beats you in multiple ways if if they're if they're not shooting the ball well timmy dominates down low if you have bigs that take away the, the the paint they have kispert and guys that can hit threes consistently and you have to score 85 points to beat them so that's one of the things i'm going to look out for is is there a team that can that can beat them
0: yeah absolutely it's it's a year of unprecedented upsets, but i still think we're just headed for a gonzaga baylor national championship which is the top two seeds and at the end of the day, it's just going to be the top teams are still the, the teams, the national t- championship. The thing I'm looking out for, which developed over the last week, was the dominance of the Pac-12. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Even diehard Pac-12 fans, which you are, you're a Colorado grad, probably would have never guessed that they would have had every team except Colorado
1: make it to the Sweet 16. Um, no, I, I I had faith in Oregon and USC. I thought they were really quality teams who... And I think Colorado was also really quality, but Colorado had some bad losses and they struggle outside of Boulder. So that's where I had some intimidation going into the tournament and and USC. I mean, when you have a star player like Evan Mobley, you can win games, you can beat anyone. So I think that was interesting, but Oregon State, I did not see coming. They looked bad for 70% of the year and they are shooting lights out now. So the Pac-12 was undervalued, but to the degree that they're playing now, I don't think they were that undervalued, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, they got some help. And I mean, Oregon State was one of those teams where they just got hot at the right time. And I feel like you see that every couple of years, you know, especially UConn stands out as a team that gets hot in their conference tournament and just rolls it in the NCAA tournament. And then obviously, you know, Oregon didn't play a first round game because of COVID and UCLA yeah. ended up playing Abilene Christian in the second round. I think some things went their way, but, you know, to have what, is it five teams in the Sweet 16? Like that's yeah. pretty impressive. And they're probably and guaranteed at least one um if not more advancing on so definitely some fun things to keep an eye on but you know we're getting to the tail end of the show so let's end it with you know the classic um ryan's not here but we can still do the bit the dudes and the dudettes of the week matt is there anything that stands out to you that we should definitely pay attention to on
1: that side of things well as i was thinking through this my dude of the week comes from today and it's the magic city wings and um lou williams getting traded to atlanta where we had that entire thing last year with covid where he he, he took a detour and and the picture of those wings look outstanding by the way so I don't blame him but um reading through their Twitter account today and some of their replies was really funny Buffalo Wild Wings tweeted at Lou Williams and and Magic City was like don't try and play in this game this is our area and so I think there's some really funny stuff and that gave me a chuckle so if you want to go check that out go to the Magic City Twitter and they've got some funny replies Will do. Yeah. And my dudes of the week,
0: it's dudes this week because Cameron Krautwig from Loyola of Chicago and Drew Timmy from Gonzaga are just changing the game when it comes to, you know, odd looking white guys just dominating college basketball. And we were talking about this before the recording. You know, it's a little disrespectful to call Cameron Krautwig mini Jokic, but in a lot of ways, it's not completely unwarranted. And um, I, I actually really like Loyola's chances of beating um, winning their next game. And and so they, they could be a, another Final Four team, which should be twice out of the last three tournaments. And that's, you know, that's something to keep an eye on. Um, At what that point, we- they're not a Cinderella. They're just good. Yeah. Do you yeah. have a, a dud of the week?
1: Well, I think a lot of people have kind of circulated this, but the NCAA and the, the weight rooms, and I think a lot of people saw that, but the men's facility, they had a giant space with m- multitudes of squat racks, and it looked beautiful. And the women's had some mats and a few dumbbells that went up to like 30 pounds which is just it blows my mind i i understand maybe there's some excuses that they said like oh the facility the area we we're supposed to be in but you i could purchase those dumbbells and mats for <laughs> for like that looks like some lady's old gym that she doesn't use like that was it was just embarrassing it's bad by the NCA. they auto correct or they course corrected really quickly but still i mean the damage was done and it's just a disparity where they think oh our our sports that bring in the most revenue they deserve everything and the sports that don't and it's it's not how it is if you're not paying players if you're not you have to give these amenities i think there's a bottom just base minimum of what you can do for these players and that was not it
0: absolutely yeah it looked like the you know the workout room at a day's Inn or some crappy motel it was really sad especially it was the week it was the week of international women's week you know and, and the NCAA, as a result, had to hire a gender equality consultant, which is just absurd that they were even in that position to begin with. It's, it's kind of shameful. Like, it really is. It's that bad. But my, my dud of the week is not as bad as this, but it's still something we should call attention to, which is Tim Peel, the now former NHL referee who was caught on a Nashville Predators broadcast, just like on their actual audio from their show, saying he wanted to give the Predators a penalty, just outright, which just going to give them a penalty outright and has now since been banned from the NHL. And to make matters worse, he had announced before the season he was going to retire this year. So he was months away from just finishing his career and just, you know, being able to say, I had a great career as an NHL ref, and it just all comes crashing down at the last moment. And what's even funnier is Nashville won the game handily. The penalty had no impact on the game, and it's put a you know scar in his career. And so, you know, Tim, feel not a good look, man. Dud of the week. Dud of the week. But... You know, you know, wrapping up today, guys, great show. Great having Matt on and hearing all your thoughts about, you know, the the trade deadline in baseball and, and I want to give a special shout out to Judd Travis for joining us. Had a great conversation with him and he really enlightened us a lot about, you know, the culture at USC. So thanks. Thanks to both of our guest walk-ons today. And yeah, just, you know, also want to give a shout out to Matthew Judon. We missed this last week. He got a huge contract with the new England Patriots, but who didn't, um, in a free agency and you know we didn't give him his proper dues and uh yeah so matthew congratulations man and if you're listening you know just wanted to give you a big shout out and i hope you bought some more more shoes for your collection but uh you know that'll that'll wrap it up for us today on the walk-ons podcast march 25th and again great show and thanks for everyone for listening